This is a Crow's Nest podcast. Ahoy, and welcome back to Titanic Talkline. I am Alexia, and this week I am joined by Richard Southward. Hello, Richard. Do, do people call you Richard, or do, do you have a nickname? Uh, no, it's usually just Richard, yeah. I, f- I figured I should ask. How are you? Hey, I'm very well, thank you. You're in... Where are you Where are you right now? I always like to ask people this. Well, I'm based in the UK, in the, mm-hmm. in the Northwest. I've I've been to the UK one time, and I was five years old, and I'm also terrible with geography, but... Is it is it pretty cold there right now? It was, it was very cold a few weeks ago. Yeah, we were, yeah. We had, we had like a cold snap lasting about two weeks, where like temperatures Ooh. were falling below zero. Ooh. Yeah, it was it was like hard getting to work in the morning with my my car being all frozen off. I managed to get a, a windscreen cover, which made things a lot easier. I feel like that's something that everybody should do because I don't do that. And then whenever it does ice up, you have that problem of, you know, de-icing or de-icing it yourself or waiting for it. It's just, ugh, it's a pro, It's yeah, a thing. Not good, no. Yeah, not I want really. to get to work early because I want to use the, the sports center before I, before I, before I start hard because I, uh, I can't run with the, road, with the roads being so icy. So I'd have to go on the treadmill or swim or something. I appreciate people that are dedicated to fitness. I wish I were, but I have the worst, like, I don't look like it, but I have the worst health. Like I have a horrible diet. I don't exercise. It's terror. I need, I need, I need to fix that needs to be fixed like today. And I keep saying that and not doing anything. Well, that's being an adult, right? Making promises to yourself and then just never following through. Well, it's a time for making promises. New, New Year coming up. Oh, that's right. I've completely lost track of the concept of time passing. Do you do a New Year's resolution? I don't actually know anyone who really does one. Hey, I like I like think about things I want to do in a New Year. It's um, uh-huh. usually not. I don't like. I don't end up keeping all of them. It's uh, it's sure. hard sometimes. Yeah, I. I think that for like, I do the same thing where I'm like, I want to do these things. And some of them I will end up doing, but you know, if I pick 10, for example, I might end up long-term going through with maybe three or four, depending on, you know, what it was. Excuse me. Anyway, sorry. I always ask people this question and sometimes it's a really long answer. Sometimes it's a short answer, but if you can remember what is, what is your Titanic story? What is your story with Titanic? Because everyone's yeah. is so different. Well, I, well, I think, well, I think mine is going to be one that's um, maybe not especially original because it all started with the Cameron film for me. Fair. So, I mean, I knew I knew about the Titanic beforehand because um, because mm-hmm. I, I, I like seeing about it in a few, few like children's books. And basically, I was I was eleven when I first saw it in nineteen ninety eight, mm-hmm. and so uh, I think I'd like I had one I read like one full book on about the Titanic because it was like a it was like a cultural phenomenon already by then. So, but I didn't end up seeing it until uh, until the summer of 1998. My parents took me to see it, right? And that was when I got I got hooked on it. Really, it was like a bit of an bit of an obsession for a few years, like watching all the documentaries that were on, and on, and just reading all the all the books I could. And so, and so these days, it's not it's maybe it's not quite the same level as it was then. But I'm still uh, I'm still very interested in it, along with just a few other things. 
One thing that I think is interesting is, you know, again, I think we're in the same age bracket in that I saw it when I was eight. Eight sounds right, depending on the, the exact time frame. I remember being very cold, but that could mean anything. And that's initially what sparked my interest, but it's interesting where people go from there. Because, you know, for some people, I know a lot of people in my age bracket, they immediately just descended into Leomania because their interest was in was in him. And then for some people, they were interested in, you know, the Titanic's survivors and other people were just like, look at the cool ship. How does it work? Yeah. See, I think, I think that was kind of more with the, um, more with the ship than myself because I, mm-hmm. I was basically, because I was getting a lot of different books on it. Mm-hmm. But I think about the... Yeah, probably one of my oldest ones that I, was, uh, I still consider a favourite is uh, Titanic and Illustrated History by Don Lynch and Ken Marshall. So, I don't even see any of the pictures that uh, Ken Marshall has done of the Titanic, but he tends to do the best ones. They're be- they're they're incomparable. I mean, there's a reason they're the gold standard within the community. Oh yeah. And it, you know, I know that there's, uh, I'm one of those people that sometimes thinks like I I was an English major. So I'm one of those people that I don't know if it's just because I'm intent on being edgy, but sometimes I'll think things like, you know, some of the classics just don't deserve to be classics. And I I do think that I think some things are classics because they are nostalgically placed in that way. But Mm -hmm. in the case of Ken Marshall's paintings, they're actually just that good. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can see how like they, they were used like visual references for the, for the film, like how um, the when you see the Titanic docked outside Sherbrooke with a nomadic mm-hmm. next to it, you can see that it's based on one of Marshall's paintings. Mm-hmm. In fact, in uh, in Belfast, where they have the nomadic on display, they actually have that same painting on like the the sign outside the the tender. Oh, how cool! I didn't know that. Yeah. It's one thing that I've I've brought up a couple times on the on the show that the Cameron film does really well. That I, I've seen not all of the past film depictions i'm not talking about documentaries exclusively about like fictional film depictions of it i've seen some of them and none of them come quite close and i to be fair to them none of them had that budget even adjusting for inflation there's just no way but none of them were able to quite capture that specifically grand maximalistic approach to opulence Exactly. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, he, he, once you've learned a bit about the Titanic, you understand how how well Cameron did with the sets. Mm-hmm. I've always felt that he pra- he practically turned the Titanic itself into a character because we see yeah. so so much of it, and we get to see the the ins and outs and recognize the different areas. And then and then in the third act, we get we have to watch it die. Basically, like, but, uh, I mean, I've watched quite a lot of the Titanic like films and TV shows because I did like a little um I did a little project back in twenty seventeen. I had like a I had like a Titanic month on my on my blog, and I I kind of watched as many of the film films and miniseries as I could. But uh, and some are better than others. But uh, as I did, I did feel that uh, Cameron captured the ship best of all. Like even if you watch it like a night to remember, mm-hmm. you don't get quite get the same attachment and appreciation of the environment as you as you do with Cameron's film. I think a lot of that might have to do with resources and budget. You know, again, you know, yeah, of course, yeah. To be fair to them, and right, and you know, at the end of the day, we can only judge the end product. So it's like, yeah, the Cameron film obviously does the best because it had the best resources. But I have not done a project like that, but I feel as though I should. 
So I've watched one of the miniseries so far, and mm-hmm. I've seen Ju- uh, Julian Fellows. Yeah. Titanic. What you what did you think about not not the show overall, but like the depiction of the ship? Because I, the, the show overall is a very different question. Yeah, he, yeah, I felt like the um the depi- the depiction of the ship it wasn't like so. It felt it felt a bit generic, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you weren't you weren't really paying like yeah, having your attention drawn to it. And that really surprises me because I haven't seen the entirety of it, but I have seen the first maybe four seasons of Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. And have you seen Downton Abbey itself? Yeah, I, I used to watch Downton Abbey. I've seen the, the yeah. films as well. Starting with episode one, like episode one, it is lush and opulent and beautiful. The costumes, the detail to everything is absolutely beautiful from the costumes to the set. There's a lot of attention paid to it. And with that being what Julian Fellows is known for, it was surprising that he wasn't able to bring that over into the miniseries, considering that's what Titanic was also so well known for. Yeah, I suppose with Downton Abbey, because it's mostly set in the one place, I think it's Hightower Castle that actually exists. Mm -hmm. And so they're able to make full use of that and just do what they like with the costumes. Probably with the Titanic, like you say, with the resources, they're a bit more more limited in recreating the ship in that way. Yeah. You need to create on screen. But it almost feels it almost feels necessary to tell the story. Like I I personally focus on my podcast and me personally on the fact that to me Titanic is a human story, and it is to me. It's to me. It's you know twenty two hundred lives that were all affected in very different ways, mm-hmm. many for the worse, yeah. and even the survivors. But there was a draw to Titanic even at the time. Now I I don't. Once I've now understood the cultural history a little better, it wasn't quite as crazy maybe as we regarded as, but it was still a big deal of the time simply due to the class like accessibility of things that normally would have been outside of one's class. Like you normally wouldn't be able to be served food in the lower class tickets of any ship you would bring your own food the idea of having you know your bed made for you and you know towels provided people waiting on you was a thing that only the rich could attain at restaurants or you know people that saved for an exceptionally long time this was a big deal for everyone if you could be on the ship you'd at least travel in reasonable comfort that was a big deal for a lot of people yeah that was the that was a big thing for the first class passengers Mm -hmm. wasn't it yeah, and, and right. I, I think because there's so much focus on how many features and like how cool first class was, because like it was, it was you know the dazzling coolness. White Star Line anticipated making most of its money on its third class passengers, yeah. so it wasn't like they just threw third class in as an afterthought. It was like they this was a carefully planned experience. It was definitely like. Even the engineering of the third class area was exceptionally different from other ships in a way, wasn't it? In what, in what way do you think? Well, they had um, automatic plumbing that wasn't, yes, you know, so I imagine that that would require a whole different infrastructure on a yeah, ship. Right. Yeah, because they had their own sinks in the cabins, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, that, that kind of I mean, thing too. I think there were only like, like two bathrooms for 
for the third right. class passengers to share. Right. But there was still like running water in every room. Oh, yeah. yeah, they had they had, they had, that, they had that in the rooms, yeah. And you know, actually building in a dining room and lounge areas. Yeah, would they have had been... like general areas too where we mm-hmm. could socialize. So it would have been complete. I mean, obviously, this sounds like it's being obviously stated, but it would have been completely designed from the ground up. There wasn't a template to go off of because you were putting things in place that had never been put in before. Yeah, but I feel like the basic structure of third class as they actually had like two. It was kind of split into the accommodation where single men were stationed in the bow, right. and single women and families in the stern, mm-hmm. because they because they kind of wanted to keep the single men and women apart, and that was based on the on what um, had been applied in other white star line ships going back to the, the the original oceanic class, like the the Atlantic that was, I, I believe, was lost in 1873. That had a similar layout. That was on a smaller scale. That had a similarly tragic fate. Yeah, it was it ran aground in, uh, off, off the coast of Nova Scotia. Ugh. And in fact, I think um, all, all of the women and only one child actually survived on that occasion because it wasn't, it wasn't like Titanic. They, they couldn't la- successfully launch any of their lifeboats because of the yeah. conditions. And eventually had to like use a rope to just kind of climb over onto the, the rocks so those people who couldn't survive. So if you were male and uh, male of a, of a certain of a certain build and strength, then you had the best chance of surviving. Mm. That's frightening. And to be fair, any shipwreck fr- is a frightening notion. Yeah, absolutely. Regardless of the circumstance. What for you keeps I mean I talked at like a little bit about my interest in like the human story and like that sort of thing and that's you know for me what I find interesting but what is it that you find interesting you know as time goes on in you know years pass since the first watching of the Cameron film yeah I think just like just learning more learning more details that people continue to to delve into mm-hmm. even like finding finding new resources about it because I think like a couple of years ago I looked at this uh, new book called On a Sea of Glass which is probably yeah. one of the most detailed books I've read about the Titanic because it goes into a, it talks a lot about the about just what facilities were available and some of the and t- telling a lot of stories about the passengers that weren't that covered before including like some of the the, the second class passengers because you notice in the, you notice in like the films they never talk about second class passengers yeah. except in SOS Titanic and in the Julian Fellows series otherwise it's always, always about first and Third class, isn't it? Yeah, I. The only two things I've personally encountered that were second class accounts were um, children's books. One was a completely fictionalized story, and one is sort of, you know historical fiction. But yeah, they were both um, for kids. Was that one novel about the uh, Mister Hoffman with his with his sons, Mister Navratil? Uh, yeah, the um, uh, the Titanic Detective Agency by Lindsay Littleson. Yeah. I do. Because I do. That. I think like there was this. I think Celia Emrides, an actress, she actually wrote a novel about, about that. I haven't read it, but I'm, and I think that was. Was it? Was it on your podcast? You interviewed the author about the Titanic Detective Agency. I did. Yeah. I talked to Lindsay about her book. Yeah. It. I really liked it. I thought it was really cute. <laughs> yeah, I just have to. I'll put it on my list. I. I think it's a nice story and it is an easy read being for children, but I think it's well done. And and the other book I was talking about was one that I remember reading when I was in middle school or something. It was called Titanic Crossing by Barbara Williams. Hmm. 
And I don't remember a lot about, I don't remember the characters' names, so I'm not sure if they're fictional or not, but I'm going to guess they were. But yeah, okay. you were in second class. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure. It might be the same book, like under a different title. I remember reading this uh, book called, I think it was called Voyage on the Great Titanic, mm-hmm. which was uh, basically in the form of a diary by this fictional girl on board. Huh. I think I think it was like part of a series, like the like the they did stuff like the Irish famine as well in like diary form as well. But that was the that was the main like t- fictional Titanic story. I remember reading at that <clears throat> at that age, and later I read so various other novels about it. Okay, addition to all the non-fiction books. What's your favorite fictional Titanic book? I think it would be um, it was one. I think it was one by I think the author is called Jill Paul. It's called uh, Women and Children First. Hmm. It basically like covers the Titanic in the first act and then goes on to talk about the the the, the fictional characters who survived and what they they go through afterwards. Gonna have to write that down. And yeah. what is your I mean, I'm sure it changes because mine changes. Like, what is your current recommendation for nonfiction? Mine changes. Hey. Uh, well, the ones I already mentioned uh, on Titanic and Illustrated History and Honesty of Glass. There's um, obviously A Night to Remember by Malta Lord. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a book I like a lot by um, a historian called Tim Moulton, which is called 101 Things You Thought You Knew About the Titanic But Didn't. I keep seeing that pop up on lists, so I should read that one. Yeah. Okay. I will make a note to read that. Yeah, he's a, yeah. Tim Walter, I think he actually did a documentary around the uh, the hundredth anniversary in twenty twelve, talking about how the Titanic might have been affected by by struck by kind of strange weather phenomena caused by the, the caused by the ocean currents in the zone that it was going into, which kind of created a mirage effect on the horizon, which which first explained why the lookouts didn't see the iceberg appear over the horizon, and also why the the sailors on the Californian couldn't couldn't make out the Titanic properly, and so. Both couldn't identify it and couldn't and make out the more signals, even though they were actually signaling back to them. And uh, I find that an interesting theory. I do too. I had heard about this only recently um, on the Titanic Minute podcast when I was listening, and that was interesting to consider because, first of all, I I don't know a whole lot about weather, yeah. but you know, I do think that it's kind of common not common knowledge but you know when you see nothing for for an exceptionally long period of time it would be hard to see something like a weather system or know that that was even happening yeah but i think because it because the ship was obviously moving the whole time and it was moving between different different points then there would be i believe the conditions were changing as they went right because there's also the um context of the coal fire yeah that was happening and you know it's you know we look at it now and think why didn't you put out the fire we have but we have a lot of resources for things like flame retardants and and the like that would have been able to do that without damaging the coal but their resource was to completely damage the coal by by wetting it and Mm -hmm. it would take too long to dry out before it was usable or just wasted as it was, so they were shoveling it into the boilers to keep the ship going to use. Yeah, yeah I think I, I think like the coal fire failure has basically been debunked by other other experts. Has anything? It, it wouldn't really have had a significant impact on the structure of the ship and the way it was the way it was wasted. I think there was one suggestion that the that the way the coal had been placed in the bunkers because of the fire might have actually kept the ship afloat for longer by making it more stable. I was thinking less of the storage and more of the speed. 
the speed, the speed of the ship. You mean? Yeah. To keep it going faster, because the 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 detail on this that I the details that as I understand it is that you know to use up the coal so that it wouldn't go to waste, they were shoveling it into the boilers, which kept the Titanic at top speed. But it would also have used more coal to slow or stop and speed up again than it did to continue at the speed they were going. Right. I don't think, I don't think the Titanic was traveling at top speed when it hit the iceberg. It was like a episode of like 21 and a half knots. I think uh, Bruce Ismay said at the inquiry they were planning to do a faster run the following day if the ship hadn't sunk just to test out the engines. Fair enough. I mean, maybe top, not top speed, but like they were going pretty fast, just like continuing yeah. to yeah. go go quick. Sure. It's like, well, it'd be harder to slow down and go fast again than it just like, well, let's, let's keep going fast. Yeah. See, I, I haven't heard that detail about the the, co- the, 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 the rate of coal affecting the speed. Okay. I, mean, I also think, I, got, I seem to recall that the fire, the fire had been reported to have been put out by the day before the sinking on the 13th. I think part of the problem is there's no way to know for sure. Because I, I was thinking about this earlier today because this is what I do when I walk around by myself. Um, in that historical details are always hard to verify without forensic evidence because people, yeah. not just not to say that people intentionally lie, but you know people's recounts are different. People can be influenced by what they hear, and some people can be influenced by what they are being told to say. Yeah, I mean, it's like you got all the. I think I think it was like like with the fact that the Titanic split up as it was sinking. I think mm-hmm. like there were quite there was a large number of people who reported seeing that it split up. Whereas all the like the most notable witnesses, like Officer Lightoller and Colonel Gracie and Lawrence Beasley, said it didn't split up, and they were the ones that were believed until the wreck was actually discovered. Right, and it's it's that kind of thing exactly where you know you can. And when you look back on it, the reason was like White Star Line is like, well, if people think our ships just break the hell in half, they're not going to have faith in us. It's like, I can understand that concept. Um, You know, we now, again, with the benefit of hindsight, are able to, uh, you know, appoint that to extraordinary circumstances. But in the moment, I can see where people might be like, if you get on a White Star Line ship, it's going to sink. Janet, I told you it's going to sink. Yes, exactly. I see why people would say that even though it wasn't true and it's not to say that people are being malicious yeah it's, it's like easy for us to say now when we're not the ones in in charge of the shipping company right it was like the the irish say it's like titanic was fine till some englishman ran it into an iceberg yeah it's yeah, that kind of thing yeah yeah so i don't you've i don't you've been to belfast have you no oh, i wish it would be yeah. it would be very nice it was, it was it was really lovely when I went. Yeah, it was a really really fantastic museum. Yeah, like they've actually designed it so like the it's it's like designed with if you've seen a picture of it, it's like got four replicas of what looks like the Titanic's bow on four sides, made made to scale. Wow. So they have the nomadic out front, and then they went they and then at the back they have like outlines showing where the Olympic and the Titanic were actually built. So like, That's so you really can see cool. like how big they were and where it could stand on those spots. Yeah. It's it's weird because now compared to like a Carnival Cruise Line ship, they're not that big, but they were still exactly, yeah. absolutely massive. I mean, like when I was there, there was like a big cruise ship on the on the river, and it was it's hard, it's hard to judge whether it was bigger than Titanic or not. It's obviously pretty hefty, and like I've seen in other places, it is the really big ones. <laughs> I've seen like Photoshop photos of like um, Titanic on open water in scale to like a Princess Cruise Line, and it looks like a tugboat. Yeah. I've seen that picture, yeah. Like I've seen the Queen Mary as well, and that was that was 
considerably bigger than the Titanic. Mm-hmm. It's 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 fun in that it's funny in that way where it's like of the time people were like this is so big we had to build docks to accommodate it, yeah. and in the year twenty twenty two we're just like oh well, what is that? I think like even even the year after the sinking the Germans launched the Imperator which was bigger than the Titanic or the Olympic. <laughs> Jeez, Certainly it's always it's always an arms race at certain once it starts. Absolutely, yeah. Before the sort of era of the steam i don't know if you know the answer to this question before the era of you know the great steamship was over what was like the the biggest passenger liner um i'm not i'm not sure what the biggest would have been i mean the the last the last really great eight one was the united states which Mm -hmm. uh, held the which which technically still holds the blue ribbon for the fastest atlantic crossing it could cross the atlantic in less than four days oh is that fast i don't know if it was like big is how big it was compared to other liners that were still active at the time, like the Queen Mary and the Queen Elizabeth. It actually, it actually still exists in the United States. It's like, unfortunately, it's not in a very good state. It's just, it's just on a dock in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. just rusting away because nobody knows what to do with it. Preserve it. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, unfortunately, that costs money. Like here, yeah. like I was seeing like a news report earlier in the year about people wondering if they were going to restore the Queen Mary because that's falling apart a bit. Yeah, I don't know about the UK, but the United States doesn't like spending money on anything unless it goes bang. Yeah. History is definitely excluded from funding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's hard to tell you. I can't really think of like any comparable things in the in the UK because we don't have like any big any big liners parked here. We do have HMS Belfast on the River Thames, which is a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. You think anything I can think of here is well, there's a couple of there's like a couple of navy cruisers that are docked. Um, one is in Baltimore Harbor, I think. I have no, I'm so bad with geography. There's a couple of places around the United States where you can tour some old <clears throat> steamships, and I think there's a couple like um, areas that you can um, ships that you can tour that are old, really old sailing ships. Right, and there's one that submarine somewhere that's pretty cool. I think there's a, there's a submarine right next to the Queen Mary, isn't there? The, the oh, Scorpion, I think it is. That's cool. I did not know that. Yeah, I do recall now. There is also the um, the, the SS Great Britain, which we have in Bristol, which mm-hmm. was actually built as the first uh, uh, all iron steamship. Huh. It was designed by this uh, this engineer called Isambard Kingdom Brunel. If you've ever heard of him, I <laughs> this that, that makes. <laughs> Have you heard of the podcast my dad wrote a porno? Uh, I've heard of it. Yeah, there is a this the guy the guy who writes it puts in the weirdest references, and I've just now gotten one of them because it was what what was it again? Isambard Kingdom Brunel. Yep, that makes a lot. The I don't even remember what the reference was, but it was something like something was as hard as the Isambard in Brunel, and I was like, I don't know what that means. I guess it makes sense now because it was the first all iron steamship. Yeah, but it, yeah, but it's uh, it's still around in Bristol. Basically, it was um it was used on the Atlantic, it, it, like it was built in the middle of the nineteenth century. I can't remember the exact year, like eighteen forties, eighteen fifties. It was used in the first on the Atlantic run. Then it was sold and used to take people to Australia, and then it was wrecked around the Falkland Islands. It was basically used as like a floating storage space before finally it was just abandoned on a beach and just left there. And then I think in the nineteen seventies it was taken all the way back to Bristol and fully restored. And, uh, wow. 
And uh, basically, and if you go there, if you go like to the area around, uh, beneath the ship, you can just look at the the steel and the or the iron and just see how how old it is. And they have to keep that that area very very warm and dry because otherwise it's going to rust. Yeah, how old it just looks very fragile from that angle, even despite how how robust it looks from the surface. I imagine that the long-term preservation of these entire vessels is exhausting because even if yeah, they're yeah. kept in, well, yeah, because I'm thinking of the ones that um, are not dry docked, for example, they're still in the water. Water wears away over time. Yeah, exactly. And the, the effect of the salt as well. Yeah. I was just thinking of the river, which is um, freshwater, but even, even in freshwater, you have stuff. It's, there's different chemical balances in, in different areas, different pH balances, different ecosystems, yeah. ecostructures, different creatures. There's there's things in the water. Yeah. That's, it's always interesting to think about. It's like, I don't know. It seems better to take it and, you know, put it in a dry dock, but then it's exposed to, you know, the elements at large. Yeah. I guess you have to build a dry dock as well. Build a sheltered dry dock with climate control. Yeah. That's yeah. the ultimate yeah. solution. Yeah, there must be. Yeah, I imagine there must be like quite a lot of uh, pretty serious costs involved with maintaining the Great Britain, at least. Yeah, and it's not even especially big. It was it was very big for the time, but it's not especially big now. Even so, I'm thinking again down to whatever this ship that was in this boat, probably by comparative standards, that was in Baltimore. It's like it's not even that big comparatively. But the, I mean, I'm thinking of just the space to properly encapsulate it if you wanted to bring it indoors, for example, would be huge. Yeah. The necessary space and resources to properly museum quality preserve these things is, is the resources are massive and the cost would be exorbitant, I think. And hence why nobody wants to take on the United States. <laughs> it, it, would just, it would just be a big, it would just be a money hole, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's disappointing because I do feel is that not every part of his preserving history seems to need to make money, but that's a difficult concept for people to understand. Yeah, it just feels like everything has to have some kind of practical, yeah, practical use, doesn't it? Like the Queen, like Queen Mary is technically used as a hotel. Yeah, I mean, yeah, capitalism. But I mean, it, it's unfortunately true. There's you, you know, people won't do things unless there's a. A reason, as you said, the Queen Mary can double as a hotel. This um, the ship I'm talking about. I don't remember if it's part of the museum or if it's like tangential to a museum. But you can get tickets to tour it, so it's you know not free. These are you know they're upkept in some way. Yeah. Is there? <clears throat> excuse me. When you think about, especially you know, when we're thinking about preservation and what have you with things like the Titanic wreck that are just so far away. There's no way to do preservative measures on something like the Titanic. It's it's completely outside of human control at this point. Yeah, there's, no way you can, there's no way you can raise it at all, is there? No. No. Not, but... not like in the movie. <laughs> so I think you like the, the Raise the Titanic movie. Yeah. I have not seen that. What is that? Is that entertaining? It's not It's not really great, no. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty bland. The, I, I read the book as well. The book is... um. It's distractingly sexist. Oh no! It has lines like very, like very few women are blessed with mechanical inclinations, and <laughs> like a lot of men kind of um, talking about how how sexy women are and things like that. What year was it? Really, they get around that by practically taking out all of the female characters. I think there's just one of any real 
we all know it. it's a it's quite a sausage fest the film excellent that you know, great that sounds about right for because this was made in the 80s am i 70s the film came out in 1980 i think the, the 80, book was yeah. in the 1970s 70s yeah it's like that sounds accurate for the time unfortunately but yeah. disappointing it's not even amusing that's frustrating when things don't even bypass being silly and become i mean bland and become amusing when they're just plain boring yeah that that is basically it. yeah it's, bit, it's just quite a boring film that's kind of how I felt about the last few episodes of um, the Julian Fellows miniseries. Is that it was just it was really boring. Yeah, the thing the thing is that is the way they do it with like like taking different plot lines and like going back and forth in time between the episodes. Ugh. It just doesn't it just doesn't really work. No, it doesn't work for as short of a thing because you know each episode's like forty five minutes, so that's three hours of runtime. That's a movie. And there are so many repeat scenes from time hops. It just tells you they did not have enough footage to make it to three hours yeah. or plot. Yeah, I remember one of like my main interests in the, the the series at the time is it had uh, Jenna Coleman in it, and she'd just been announced as a new companion in Doctor Who. So I, w- I wanted to see how she was going to perform. Which one was she? She was the maid. I think uh, Annie. I think she's called like black a black hair. Oh, the one that got into like three different like stealing plots in the course of three hours somehow. Um, I think that might be a different one, but she like had this oh. uh, this Italian love. Oh, yes, that's right. Was... That's right. I remember her now. She always had her hair over her ears. Yeah, yeah. She was in that. Uh, yeah, she was in that series. Uh, this other, this other series on ATV Victoria, play, playing Queen Victoria. I don't know if you've seen that. No, not. I haven't. She was good. A lot of the actors were were pretty good in their roles. It was just a very boring series. Yeah, yeah, there was nothing wrong with the acting. Just the the characters weren't especially interesting. There was a lot of really, really weird, especially in episode episode one, there was a lot of very odd writing. There was some insane lines. Hmm. I I can't recall the specific lines. Me neither. It It was just weirdly attempting to be sort of deep and edgy dialogue, but it ended up just sounding super hokey and strange. Yeah. Like, ah. Uh, I can probably remember both from like the 1996 miniseries with Catherine Zeta-Jones in it. I haven't seen that. Is that at least amusing? I, it is amusing. Unfortunately, it does have a, um, a well, the point of one black, the big black mark on it is it has a sexual assault scene. Uh, uh, it doesn't really need to be there and it's quite graphic. That's a device in a lot of movies and tv unfortunately is a sexual assault yeah. as a way of adding depth and trauma to a character or a reason for them to bond with somebody yeah but like with me but like with the, the 1996 series i find it, there are a lot of things wrong with it it throws historical accuracy right out the window mm-hmm. yeah i still find it quite amusing kind of a kind of a guilty pleasure really oh i'll have to watch it then i haven't i just haven't uh come across it yet but that's again in the, in my interest in watching more stuff that's another one that i want to see yeah I mean, it only came out like the year before Cameron's Titanic was released, so I think they were taking some inspiration from, from, and from like presumably Cameron's plans for the film, which is which would have been still under development then, because it actually have like one of the main plot lines involved, like a, a man who get and who gets on board the Titanic with a third class ticket that wasn't originally his. <laughs> oh, it, although in, in his case, he steals it from a drunk guy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's way funnier, though. Yeah. 
And then the and then the guy is like, I, when the Titanic is leaving, that guy is like appearing at a dog going, "I've been robbed! I've been robbed!" <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, if you're telling up at the at this time, then it, then you're not getting on the ship anyway, even if you've got your ticket." Right. It doesn't matter at that point. But to be fair, you have been robbed. You're just also late. Yeah, unless he was just like spending all that time running around trying to find his ticket. That who knows? I I mean, when maybe he was doing the night after drunk retracing i have i have no idea what he was doing during that wasted time but i like that gag yeah yeah i'll just um if you get where you get a chance to be it'll be interesting to see what you think no i do want to watch that that's on my to watch list as are a couple of the other actual um movies just haven't seen them all yeah well that well i'd like to remember is aside from cameras the night to remember is easily the best one that's what I've heard. I, of course, for the people who don't like the Cameron film, they say that that's the best one. Yeah, I do. Like, I do like the 1953 film with uh, Barbara Stanwyck as well. I mean, even though it's like not the, it's more focused on like a the story of the fictional characters rather than like look examining the history. The, the mm-hmm. Titanic is really just the background. But I do. I, I do find it quite a quite a good film. I'll have to add that one into my list as well. There's, there's just there, I keep learning. There's so much more media than I'm ever going to be aware of. Yeah. yeah making okay. more. Yeah, I think I've, I've like mentioned to you when you communicated in the past, like one thing um, I got after I saw the, I saw the film in the, 90, in the late 1990s was this uh, video game called Titanic Adventure Out of Time, which I think I actually came, referenced. Yeah, which I think actually came out just before the film, like, like the miniseries. Mm-hmm. It's, basically, it's like a, like it starts out if we got a secret agent living in this flat in 1942 and you had this mission on the Titanic which failed and then a bomb explodes outside the flat and sends you back in time to 1912 on board the Titanic and then you have to go on this on this mission and it's wow. all like in first person so you're going like all the way through the environment of the ship and that actually taught me a lot about the about the structure with the grand staircase and I think that was what made me realize there's actually there are actually two grand staircases one at the one in the middle and one at the back. And yeah, I didn't, the, I didn't learn that till way later either. Yeah. You go for the cabins, you go into the Turkish bath, the squash court, and the boiler rooms. I thought, like, I think they had to, they had to like, adjust some of the details, but it's a really, even for, for the 1990s, it's a, it's a really great rendering. I heard you can also see the electric horse and the electric camel in you this go in the, uh, in the gymnasium, yeah. Yeah. I wonder why those went out of style. <laughs> yeah, there's one. There's one cat. There's one character who's just talking about the electric camel. They say it is good for the liver. I wouldn't know. I. I have no idea. I again on the Titanic Minute podcast, they said they did some research and found that it was um, given to. Uh, basically two women who were complaining that their husbands were away and things of that nature. So they told them to go horseback riding or use the right. electric horse. All right. I didn't, I didn't know that. I guess. I don't know what they're doing. Cause when I take riding lessons, I spend a lot of time exercising and wondering what, <laughs> whether I'm going to fall down or not. I don't find that particularly relaxing in any capacity. No, I think I've, I think I've only tried horseback riding once or twice a very, very long time ago. Mm. I like it. I took I took lessons for a year. The horse that I rode is his, he's great. I love him. He's got a lot of personality, and it's fun. But again, it's also like this is a very large creature, and it has its own brain. Yes, <laughs> it's a lot to keep in mind. 
It is, definitely. I feel that way when I'm walking. Even when I'm walking dogs, they're not even that big. But it's like, this is a, a creature with its own brain. Yeah, the, um, yeah, the, do- the dogs I walk in my, my everyday life, they, uh, they do tend to pull. Mm-hmm. One of them does. The other one's pretty good. But every once in a while, he'll see a squirrel and get keyed up. But not like... Um, not like barking and stuff, but he definitely like stalks it a little bit and then just tries to shh. Yeah. You may have to, he, you know, with our dogs, you may have to like keep a, keep an eye on like whether there's any food on the ground. If there, <laughs> if there is, they're going to go for it. And I'll, and I'll usually notice it before you do. Yeah. That's a uh, princess is pretty food motivated. Leto is pretty good about things unless, unless it's right in his face. He's usually pretty good. I remember once I used to have this coffee table when I first moved into like my own apartment, you know, six, seven years ago, I had only a coffee table for a table and it came up to my knees. So it is not very tall. And this dog also comes up to about my, about my knees. And I left my breakfast plate on the table once when I went to work and I realized it when I got to work, I was like, ah, I didn't grab it. It's not on the counter. I came home and everything was still on the plate. He, he left really? it alone. Yeah. I was like, Wow. <laughs> Very good. I know it's very impressed. That would not have happened with this other one. I would have had a clean plate when I came home. You probably would have had a, you would have had a clean plate when you left the room. Yeah, as soon as that lock clicked. Yeah. <laughs> That's dogs. Yeah, it's like one extreme or the other, isn't it? Uh, it really, really is. He is a bit of a tattletale, which I think is funny. I adopted him from a friend. Um, and beforehand, he used to have like a little sibling dog. She was a few years younger. And I ended up watching them both um, one weekend, and I, I went out to go to roller derby practice. So I was gone for a maximum of three hours. So, you know, not a whole day, three hours. And in this time, that dog, the little puppy, had busted out of her cage, destroyed about $300 worth of stuff in, the, uh, in the, my apartment, and was just sitting on my couch with ink on her face waiting for me. She was a pure white dog with blue ink all over her face. It was great. And I could hear this one from down the hall as I was coming up the apartment and he was ready at my door, basically to tattletale on her, just whining and yelping, basically like, look what she did. It's like, you little narc. Maybe he was wondering why he couldn't join in. Well, he was free. He could have if he wanted to. He was choosing not to, which I appreciate. He's a very good boy, but I think it is very funny. What kind of dogs do you have? Uh, two, he, two golden retrievers. Oh, they're so sweet. Yeah. Goldens. Yes, they're very, very affectionate, yeah. I wish either of these dogs was a lap dog. They they are not. That's it, yeah. You know, like one, one of our dogs, he's like, a, he's, like a, he, he's, not, he's too big to be a lap dog, but he doesn't seem to know that. Yeah, I don't mind that with certain dogs. I'm like, all right, you can you can be as close as you like. It depends on how much they weigh, I suppose. Yeah. If it's in the lines of like 30, 35 kilos, it is a bit, a bit overwhelming. That's fair. These guys are not that big. They're not quite as big. They're, they're I don't know what the equivalent is, but they're about 45 pounds. Again, like uh-huh. knee height, medium dogs, not, not big. Okay. And one of them is mostly fluff. When you put her in the water, she starts looking a bit like a... <laughs> Like a coyote. (laughs) Sorry, getting off topic, but I do that all the time. You also, I I wanted to go back because you mentioned watching all these like movies and TV shows. I only know of the two TV shows, the the two miniseries. Are there others? Are there other miniseries? Uh, 
Okay, so there's the nineteen ninety six miniseries, the the Julian yeah. Fellows one. Yep. I think the I think the other one is uh, the one that came out in twenty twelve as well called Titanic Blood and Steel. Oh so, that's right. Have you seen that? My friend says it's good. Yeah, I thought it was good, yeah. But didn't it get like it was one season and then it got cancelled? Yeah, yeah, like it it literally ends with the Titanic leaving Belfast. Ew. So you don't see the disaster or anything like that, you just have to kinda of guess who's who lives and who dies. I mean, I suppose you could consider that a very artsy way to end a show. You could really, yeah. Maybe they're just maybe they're just never intending to continue it from there. That's actually very now. That's very now. That's very 2022 to be like, actually, we left it open to the interpretation of the imagination yeah. because we think it's more important for people to just be in the moment. You know, we didn't yeah. want to focus on that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like with the the, the various plot lines of the characters that we have been following for the season. Mm-hmm. It's uh, he like once like once he gets to the the sinking and you can kind of guess who as who would live and who wouldn't based on their positions, mm. and so that's the the best kind of resolution that that it offers. When was this series? When was this made? You said twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. Yeah, was that so? Like for the one hundredth anniversary. Yeah. Well, why was it? Was it just one of those things that was? Was that around the time of the writers' strike? I have no concept of time no. or geography. No, I don't. I, I, I don't, I don't know when the writer's strike was. No, I don't know if that had any effect on it. And like I say, maybe they're just always planning to just do the one season. Huh. I have, I have no idea, but but I don't know how many people watched it because it's not that it's not that well known. Not many people talk about it. Was it British made? I think it was American made. I'll just like have a I'll just have a look. Produced by History Asia. Oh, well, neither, I guess. Okay. Huh. Huh. Interesting. My country of origin, France, Italy, Canada, Ireland. Okay, so everywhere. Okay. It's like when I tried to figure out, I was Googling the languages that were in the show um, 1899, and I was looking for one specific language, and everything I found was just like a list of every single language. I'm like, nope. Nope, not helpful. No, I bet he, I don't have Netflix at the moment, so I haven't watched eighteen ninety nine. It's good. I liked it. It's definitely it's very now, and it's definitely a show that's setting up for a season two. Or else, if they don't put out a season two, it'll just be one of those things where you're like weirdly open ended interpretation of things. But the setup to me is that there's going to be a season two. Okay. Yeah, I just I just kind of like ran out of things I was particularly interested in on Netflix, so I just kind Fair. of cancelled. So, so maybe once there's more stuff on there, I'll go back on at some point. Everything hopping networks these days makes it really difficult to keep track of what you even want to subscribe to because one minute's there, next minute it's not. Yeah, the, the different films that you want, yeah. Yeah, I even see things. So I have HBO Max just because of the cable subscription, but um, I see things popping up on HBO Max that I know are on other networks. It's like just it's like Disney Plus, for example, because Disney, Disney Plus, they don't like to share their content. So it's super interesting that they put the first episode or so of Andor on HBO Max. I was like, why? Okay, right. Yeah, but I'm sure it's just to get people like come subscribe to watch the rest. But it's just interesting that they even put out the first episode on another platform because they don't normally like to share. Yeah, unless they must have done some kind of deal, mustn't they? Must have, but. It's they also Disney is also the one that made that documentary with Cameron for like the twenty fifth, twentieth, twenty fifth. Yeah, yeah, there there are a couple of Titanic documentaries on yeah. there. Yeah, National Geographic. Mm-hmm. This is the one with Cameron where he like goes with Bill Paxton back to Titanic, but 
as again, Titanic Minute pointed out, um, the, the documentary was made by Disney, but the original film at the time was made by Fox and Paramount and Disney hadn't yet purchased the rights to, you know, Fox yeah. and what have you. But at the time they were not able to like really reference the film or use the film at all. So it was this really interesting white, ele- like just elephant in the room the entire time. All right. So that, was that, uh, was that Ghosts of the Abyss? Because yeah, that was yes. the one that had Bill Paxton in it. And then there were a couple of uh, other National Geographic ones that had James Cameron in them. Yes, yeah, sorry. I'm talking about the uh, Bill Paxton one. Yeah. Did you see that? I've seen, I've seen it. Uh, I saw it quite recently, yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it was cool. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting, yeah. I mean, I like Bill Paxton, though. I find him charming. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you ever watch, um, you ever watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Not yet. I'm behind on. I'm behind on my Marvel. Yeah, because they um, because he's actually in the first season of that, oh, and then cool. the last season involves some time travel. So they have Bill Paxton's son playing the same <laughs> character when he was younger. That's very cool. Yeah. Does his son look like a young Bill Paxton? He does. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Because yeah, I was gonna say we had we know what young Bill Paxton looked like. Yeah, it's that's funny. Cool. He's actually in my. He's actually yeah in both of my top two favorite films, which are Titanic and Apollo Thirteen. I have only seen Apollo 13 one time, and it was many, many years ago. I have seen it, though. Yeah. But I, think, I think probably most of my favorite films come from the 90s. Fair. Seems to be what decade I'm most attached to. What are, give me, just, I'm thinking of my own, like, what are three of your top favorite films? They don't have to be the favorite, but it's like, just three. Well, aside from uh, Titanic and Apollo 13. Yeah, because you already uh, named those. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, Terminator 2. Okay. Forrest Gump. Okay. Uh, Jurassic Park. Yeah. Like yes. Jurassic Park. Yeah. He's, uh, he, are we just thinking of that? Of, are we just thinking of 90s films here? I think. Oh, I don't know. It was just in general, whatever you wanted to pick I think up. I think, it was, um, I, think that, I think next would probably be like The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Oh, yeah. The Lord of the Rings movies are good. Yeah. And uh, Spider Man 2 is in there, so that's my favorite like superhero film. Is that which one? Which, which Spider Man? That's it. That's it. Tobey Maguire. So he's um, okay. So we're a couple back. back. Yeah, so that was two thousand and four. Yeah, I like. I I have. I know some people are like hate super. Is like, oh, I don't like this one. I like. I found each of the guys who played Spider Man to be good at it in different ways. I just yeah, me too. Like like people like talk about how how bad Andrew Garfield's films were. I didn't think he's they were fine. That bad, yeah. He he played to me. He played the character for the film that was made. Like. He didn't play it serious. He didn't like super like taking it Shakespearean. He didn't go super cartoony as to look out of place. But it's like he, I think he knew the movie he was in. Yeah, I think he was fine. I everyone was all over him for it and was like, "What? Get off his back! He's fine." Yeah, exactly. In the same way that oh my god, I'm gonna screw up his name, Tom. Oh god, Tom Holland. Thank you. Tom Hiddleston is the only name that was coming to my brain, but I knew it was wrong. Exactly. I was like, no, I know it's, that's wrong, but yeah. Um, Tom Holland is, and it's like, he does a great job in his role. And um, I don't know who the voice actor was for Miles in um, Into the Spider-Verse, but like. No, I, don't, I don't recall that now. I don't remember his name offhandedly, but he was great too. It's like, they're all just different versions of this character in the same way that each yeah. James Bond is a little different. Yeah, they, I like yeah. So I can't really pick a favorite of like the, of the, of the Spider-Man Fair. themselves because they're all playing like different versions of the character yeah you know the um the spider-verse sequel i think is coming out next year oh i didn't know that that's cool i 
I liked the first one. I thought it was I thought it was neat. I, I loved it. Yeah, I think it's pretty much the only like twenty thirteen to twenty twenty three film that I'm looking forward to, apart from the Titanic re release. I'm really excited for that because that'll be the first time I've personally seen it in theaters since the '90s. I didn't catch any of the other re releases. Yeah, and when, I, when I went to see it in twenty twelve, that was what actually got me to 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 admit that Titanic was my favorite film. Because otherwise, before then, I was a little bit embarrassed about it because there came this point where it just wasn't cool to like Titanic. I yeah, I, I guess I could see that. I mean, I I, I it's always been if it's always been one of my one of my favorites, but. I can see where there was a, a time where it wasn't in vogue, but there was also, you know, again, a time where the movie was, the the wheel hadn't kicked back up again and it was kind of falling off the cycle for a while. In, ter- in terms of like how, what people were thinking of it. Yeah, tr- yeah, popularity, what's what's quote unquote yeah. trending these days. Just, be, I mean, just because it was like so popular in the, immediately after it came out and everybody was talking about it and referencing it in other places, it just got a bit overwhelming and then there was kind of that, that backlash the other way. Yeah, it's overcorrecting, and I, you know, people are starting to find healthier balances again, which is, which I think is good. There's, you know, room for people to be enthusiastic about their hobbies. You know, just because yeah. you don't get it doesn't mean it's bad. Exactly. Yeah. Ugh, oh well. Hopefully, more people will figure that out. Yes, that will be good. Well, we were. I talked about New Year's resolutions way earlier, but in 2023, do you have any like Titanic-related goals, like places to see, or? Um. Well, maybe. Well, I'm only thinking of like going to. Uh, I'd like to go to the States because I've yeah. been there for a little while. Not for like um, Titanic stuff, more for more for like space related stuff because I'm, sure. I'm also quite interested in space travel. Like I want to go back to the Kennedy Space Center because I last went there in 2013 mm-hmm. and they've changed a lot since then. They put like Space Shuttle Atlantis on display now. Yes. And, and they'll, have other, they'll have other displays there as well. I know that they've updated the Air and Space Museum in, D- in the DC area probably since yeah, the I last went, time you were there. I went there in, uh, in 2009. That's one of my favorite museums. I love yeah, that place. That was great, yeah. I I don't I know I'm sure there's probably a lot in Houston. See? Yeah, yeah, there will be. I haven't been I haven't been to I think mean, I only went to Houston once as like a layover for going somewhere else. <laughs> so I thought I just I was just like staying in a hotel overnight and then just straight back to the airport so I didn't get a chance to look around. Understood, uh, but, but I will have you, to go there at some point. Yeah, if you're interested in space, that seems like a place here. Yeah, to... exactly. To go. So how far away from from Houston is where you live? I'm in Austin. Jeez, oh, let me see. Well, well, I just so talked Texas about is a big state, isn't it? It is a big state. It's a few hours away, but it's a. I can't remember exactly how many. From Austin, Houston is about three hours. Okay, so not too too terrible. Not terrible. No, and Austin itself is 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 a cool city. Nothing really space or Titanic related, but it got a lot of music and just kind of like cool stuff to do. Okay. It's like a fun city. Yeah. At least that's what, you know, my experience and everyone tells me. So. <laughs> okay. <sighs> well, Richard, I have taken up basically an hour plus of your time. I'm going to thank you so much for coming on the show and for talking to me about, you know, yourself and, and the history with the ship. Well, my pleasure. Thank you for, for having me on. Enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. I am definitely going to have to pick his brain about which things to watch next because it turns out um, a lot of them are mediocre and some of them are pretty good. And if you want to get in touch with Richard, as you should, you should find him on his Twitter. 
RJ Southworth, that is RJ underscore Southworth, S-O-U-T-H-W-O-R-T-H. And you can also check out his blog, that is velociraptor256.wordpress.com. And I will see you in the next one. Bye. Titanic Talkline was created and produced by me, Alexia. Be sure to keep up with the show on all the social medias at Titanic Talkline on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is all one word, Titanic Talkline, T-I-T-A-N-I-C-T-A-L-K-L-I-N-E. If you want to get in touch, be on the show, sponsor the show, or have a question or anything you want to tell me, send me an email at titanictalkline, again, all one word, at gmail.com. That's titanictalkline at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye!